Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans. Welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bars. So maybe we never quite enlighten you. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we fight too much, but hopefully you just have a good time listening. So today we are wrapping up our Monsters in Love theme with the 2008 film Let the Right One In. This is the original, not the Matt Reeves remake, Let Me In. So this is the film from Sweden, directed by Thomas Alfredson, uh, who also did the film The Snowman with Michael Fassbender, which maybe some of you have seen about Fassbender hunting down a serial killer in the winter. Uh, And it was written by John Ajit... I'm going to get this wrong. It was written by John Ajivid Linkfist, uh, and it's based on his novel of the same name, and it stars Kerr Hedebrandt as Oscar, uh, Lena Leanderson as Ellie, uh, who was cast for her more kind of androgynous appearance, which we'll get into why that is later on in the show. So those are our two lovebirds of the film, uh, and then there's Pierre Ragnar as Hakan, Ellie's sort of familiar, yeah. the, the familiar to her vampire. And essentially, Let the Right One In is about, basically, Ellie and Hakan move into an apartment building next in the, in the apartment next to Oscar. And Oscar's kind of a fucked up kid who gets bullied a lot, who Aww. is really into violence and stuff like that. He's and an odd duck. He's an odd duck. And he ends up meeting Ellie, and they start to form a bond. And to say anything more, maybe would be to kind of spoil what this film's really all about. So <laughs> so we are going to be spoiling the film. So if you have not seen it, I do recommend checking it out. I believe it's streaming on Prime as well as Hulu. So definitely watch it there if you've not seen it. We're going to talk about everything in this movie. And it's well worth your time. If you cannot find it streaming, please rent it. It's great. It's awesome. <laughs> but we do have our usual just brief bit of spoiler-free content before we get into that. So we'll let you know we're about to get into spoilers. But so per usual, we have our tagline versus the film and kind of what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for Let the Right One In was, Ellie is 12 years old. She's been 12 for over 200 years. And she just moved in next door. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. That sounds like a Disney movie tagline. How the fuck does that sound like a Disney movie tagline? (laughs) It sounds like the tagline for like, you know, my babysitter is a vampire. It's just about like the friendly 12 year old who moved in next door. I I mean, it's about kids. So I don't, (laughs) I don't know if you wanted to read something like, Ellie just moved in next door, and now she's ready to suck and fuck. Like, okay, yeah, that's a little extreme. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which is why the Disney tagline probably works a little bit better. So. I don't know Rethinking about that. it now, aren't you? <laughs> no, not at all. Look, I get why a whole bunch of people like this movie. I think that Let the Right One In is fine. Oh my God, we're going to divorce. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I get why other people like it. It's this really cool atmospheric movie. There's a lot of interesting like little tricks that happen throughout the film that I think are really genius. But for me as a person, you, dr- you deprived me of the best kill scene. So I can never love your movie. That's just the rules. <laughs> uh, I mean, we'll get into that, but I mean, <laughs> I totally disagree. Like, I of course you do. We're, we'll talk about. I don't want to spoil that yet, but we'll we'll talk about that scene in a little bit. No, I mean, okay. First of all, to say that the movie's just fine because it didn't, it's because it didn't indulge in the one kill that you're excited about. I, I don't know if that's enough to be like this movie sucks. I'm not <laughs> saying it sucks. I'm saying I get why other people like it, but look. Can you watch Let the Right One In and really think that it's a Chris movie at the end of the day? 
I mean, I don't know what the hell a Chris movie is. Um, <laughs> trash. Fun, stupid trash. Yeah, but it's got romance and stuff, and you like those things. Um, so, no, I mean, look, Let the Right One In is not like Spring that we did earlier mm-hmm. this month, which is another great film. Love Spring. But, but is mostly devoid of violence. Let the Right One In has a lot of violence in it. It's just not, you know, it's just not maybe as bloody in some of the kills as you might... <laughs> Want with your normal vampire movie? I don't know, so I'm I'm not even gonna indulge that. I mean, look, you think it, you think it's fine? It's fine, I guess. Uh, for me, I, for me, I love this film. Like I, uh, I'm I'm not even getting the tagline, but for me, I love this film. You know, it's it actually is like a little special for me because I ended up. This was one of the first uh, foreign films that I can remember seeing in a theater. Uh, like I remember the first one that I ever got to do that with was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> and <laughs> that was mine too. Well, I, that was a lot of people's. That was you know, everybody's. That, that was that was a lot for a, a lot of our generations because that was really honestly one of the first foreign language films that showed up in major theaters and yeah. during us growing up, right? But Let the Right One In, I, it came out like my first year of college, I think, and it, you know, being being a film nerd and and rooming with a bunch of film nerds. <laughs> We ended up seeking it out and went and saw it at this indie theater in Chicago. And Chicago's actually got a really great theater scene to it, uh, yeah. like a surprisingly good one. Not as good as L.A. You know, L.A. is that's what we're known for here. But yeah. but it's got a lot of great theaters in it. And so anyway, I just remember we went and saw it at this little theater and all four of us just walked out, just like blown away by it and like talking about it the whole hour walk home through the snow, you know, because... Bunch of nerds. Yes, we were. <laughs> and... And, you know, it's just one of those experiences of, like, I, I love that. that. That was my favorite part about film school is the rare times we actually got to go see a movie together and, like, talk about it the whole way home, right? Mm-hmm. Although this was Chicago in the winter, so it was also fucking freezing cold. <laughs> uh, it's not exactly the best memory, but... <laughs> but per- perfect uh, atmosphere for the movie. Sure, because it is set during winter. Um, it, so so it, was my, it was my first experience for that, which is really special, you know, uh, and it was kind of like... Like, I, I'd already been awakened to, oh, there are lots of really great films from, from other <laughs> countries. Like, I, I had long known that, thanks to J-horror and French horror. But but this was, you know, this was one of my first opportunities getting to go do that in the theater. And so that was really cool. But yeah. uh, as for the movie itself, you know, it's, it's really fascinating because, uh, as far as I understand it, both Alfredson and Linkvist, uh, are, are neither are really huge fans of vampires, which I totally get it. I'm a werewolf guy myself, you know? Vam- vampires are just fucking mopey assholes who complain about immortality when the rest of us would be like, oh, uh, yeah, fucking give that shit to me. That'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> I get to be a werewolf and just roam the world forever eating shit and, you know, doing whatever, doing whatever I want. That sounds great. But they're, but they're always mopey, so yeah, fuck yeah. vampires. Um, but... <laughs> But so they're not, neither of them's really into vampires, and this is the fun thing I think that that works sometimes with horror, uh, and and it's why a lot of people that are more known for comedies I think sometimes do really great horror, mm-hmm. is that I think that when you don't have a really strong connection to either a subgenre or a whole genre itself, you tend to do things a little bit differently, you know, because you're kind of you're not approaching it with just all these tropes and things like that embedded in your brain so that ends up playing out really well in let the right one in because you know it it ends up touching on these different elements of the vampire lore that we haven't really seen touched on Mm -hmm. much or explained ever in the genre so like you know let the right one in this is one of the first times that really kind of indulges in like well what happens if a vampire comes in without being invited you know yeah. and, and that and i remember that being the first time that i saw that so mm. so it, it does a lot of unique things with it and, and the story itself you know telling this love story from the perspective of you know two 12 year olds well one <laughs> one 12 year old and one 12 year old going on 300 you know <laughs> uh telling it from that perspective that was another kind of new thing it, it, not just to tell it from kids points of view but to tell it from this more kind of uh, magical sort of point of view, you know, yeah. where it's like we're we're more, it's more romantic, it's more sweet, it's not it's not like near dark where we're looking at. I'm gonna hang on, <laughs> it's not like near dark where you've got like a kid vampire who you know he can't find love or like interview with the vampire where <laughs> yeah where Kirsten Dunst is like losing her fucking mind, you know. It's it's a lot sweeter with kind of the twist that the film's actually very dark on top of that so <laughs> it's very dark i don't think i would ever use the term sweet to describe this film well see okay we're getting on spoilers in a second but see that's the thing is that it's sweet on the surface like it's you know it's we're still t- we're still doing a kind of 
interesting love story here mm-hmm. and there's a sweetness to that love but it's a corrupted love too it's Very not corrupted it's not it's not com- <laughs> it's not completely legitimate in my eyes so yeah, i agree with that <laughs> we are gonna get into spoilers now but i will just say i love this movie chris thinks it's fine <laughs> uh <laughs> so so again if you have not seen it go check it out on either prime or hulu otherwise rent it it's great but so okay so just moving into spoilers of the film you know i think one of the first things i want to talk about is just kind of what we're introduced to immediately which is oscar being <laughs> a violent little freak right yep. <laughs> and, and, and i'm only saying freak because i know that chris is gonna beat me to it if i don't because that's very she, true he's a fucking mouth breather she hates this kid and but i don't hate him <laughs> you do hate him you could say nothing nice <laughs> about Oscar the entire two hours of this movie. <laughs> okay, that is very valid. I have very little nice things to say about Oscar. Because, look, the first time that we meet him in this film is when he's, like, brandishing a knife and, like, threatening to stab people. That's, that's a not a... tree, granted. That's still not a great <laughs> foot to start on. Well, and he's also, like, half naked. Well, okay, I mean, look, the, the whole point of this is, yes, it's very uncomfortable. Yes. You know, look, Hedda Brandt as Oscar does a really great job, you know, and I'm... He does, I'll give like, you. Like, he, he portrays the character very well. He captures mm. the kind of sad but sort of, like, uncomfortable sort of vibe that you get from Oscar, right? Mm-hmm. Because cause you certainly feel sympathy for him. He's a bullied kid, mm-hmm. you know, there he's not... He doesn't come off like this hateful person or anything, you know? No. He, he seems like a kid who just wants to be left alone, and, and these bullies are pretty much ruining his life, you know? Yep. So so there's a sympathy to the character. But yeah, there's that uneasiness, too, of, well, I'm, I'm feeling very uncomfortable <laughs> that there's this, you know, kid in his underwear, 12 years old, like, talking about squeal, piggy squeal, as yeah. he's, like, holding a knife up, you know? Like, that that's obviously uncomfortable. But the purpose to that, I think, is that, you know, it, it kind of does two things at once. It, it tells us that it shows us how badly oscar has been bullied you know yes and, and i'm not going to say that you know that violent tendencies specifically come from bullying you know you no. can't you can't like like when if oscar goes out and kills somebody you can't blame the bullies it's still on oscar yes but you definitely get the sense that you know he he does not lead a happy life he leads a very mm. lonely life uh hence the winter setting which is perfect for this and, and so it's doing all that but it also kind of gives you like but there is this violence to him Mm -hmm. and there is this kind of urge to act on that violence. And this is something that, that I really enjoy, but also kind of hate about the movie is that, (laughs) you know, I actually just wrote a piece about this uh, for daily grindhouse that you can find on evil speak, where I kind of talk about something similar where it's this idea that, you know, I've always had a really kind of, odd relationship with what i call revenge of the bullied movies Mm -hmm. uh because they they tend to portray these bullied kids as like disturbed you know yeah like like watch out for that kid you bullied they're gonna get you someday you know yeah and and that always really rubbed me the wrong way because like Mm -hmm. these movies they they give you that satisfaction you know of like yeah the bullies get it they get what's coming to them and that's great Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day you still end up with this bullied kid who kind of becomes the monster you know and yeah. and you kind of you a general audience kind of leaves feeling like oh i should be like worried about the bullied kid you know and like they're gonna get me or something and and yeah. I, I don't think that's the right you know that's no. the right thing to kind of say but but and let the right one in it, this isn't quite a revenge of the bullied film mm-hmm. you know it's not like evil speaker carry in that sense it's a little bit different and the violence kind of works because I think this one in particular has more of a solid message of like violence leads to nothing. Yes. (laughs) You know? Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Like, look, I, the reason why I think I get so frustrated with Oscar throughout this film, frustrated might not be the right word, but more the, the reason why I keep calling him like a little freak and a little mouth breather the entire time. Because you're a bully. <laughs> I am not. How rude. I probably am a little bit, at least to my husband. Um, well, that's fine. Yeah. I, des- I deserve to be bullied by you. <laughs> you do not. You're wonderful. Um, look, with Oscar, he's such an interesting character because, you know, you do initially meet him in that first scene. He's brandishing a knife. He does some kind of freaky, like, violent stuff throughout the film. 
But then, like, when you look at one of his earliest bullying moments where they've kind of cornered him in the yard, you've got the three bullies, and they start hitting him with the stick, he kind of, like, is quiet through that entire thing. He's, well, because well, it's probably happened to him so many times that he's just like, fuck it, I just take it, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, like, you have that moment, you have moments, like, when he's in the pool sometimes that there's such an innocence about him that you kind of wonder with Oscar, like, how much of the violence is performative, you know? Well, well but it is. But see, that's the thing, is that, you know, so when you've got this opening line with, like, squeal, baby squeal, <laughs> you know, that that's the same thing that his bullies say to him. So, yeah. so in a lot of ways, the violence is kind of like a learned yeah. thing, you know? And, th- and that's what's interesting, too. Like, you know, so, so to be perfectly frank, like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was a bullied kid, and mm-hmm. I, I probably did have moments where, you know... I was in a mirror and was like, you talking to me? Like, not <laughs> not exactly the Robert De Niro quote, but but I'm sure, like, many other bullied kids out there, you definitely have this moment where you, like, practice, like, standing up to your bullies, right? Yeah. So so that part, so that part, I kind of, I there there is an innocence to it because what it's telling us is that Oscar really maybe doesn't understand his violence, you know, or exactly. understand violence, or understand violence in general, and... This is, and this is why, you know, Let the Right One In is such a cool movie because it gets that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a hundred percent what the film is leaning more into than the actual romantic element of it mm-hmm. is this movie is really about Oscar's journey into becoming trapped in that violence because he decides to indulge in it forever. So, yeah. and you know, so like one of my favorite things about this is that Alfredson's a great director because he has a sense of placing things in the scene to kind of have like sort of thematic visuals to it right mm-hmm. and and one of those things is if you really pay attention to this movie which i mean you know you don't have to do that much because it's it kind of pops and it's kind of hard to not <laughs> see but uh, there's red everywhere in this film mm-hmm. and, and mostly it comes from people wearing red you know so like oscar's bully is often wearing red uh, mm-hmm. when he's doing the bullying uh ellie a lot of times is wearing red uh, her familiar Hakan, hopefully I'm saying that right, her familiar uh, wears red when he goes out, like he has the red sweater that he wears underneath his jacket when he goes out to kill. Yeah. And then probably the best uh, symbolic sort of element with the red is that you have that scene where Hakan has killed the guy and he kind of throws him in the river and he's like pushing him off with this red stick, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that ends up being the exact same red stick that Oscar later finds and uses to hit the bully, Connie, played by Patrick Ridmark. And I love that because at that point, Hakan's already passed away, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like this symbolic thing of Hakan kind of passing this torch of violence over to Oscar. And now Oscar having used it on his bully, now it's almost kind of like a point of no return. Like Oscar's now officially on a path of violence <laughs> yeah, well, and, and he's and he's no longer you know he, he he's no longer the innocent kid and that and, and it's such a weird thing to talk about because you don't want to look at it like saying oh it's not okay that he hits his bully back because it absolutely is mm-hmm. the thing is though he takes he's taking the violence to the next level he deafens the kid <laughs> you know i mean he straight up like takes the kid's ear off yeah. <laughs> and i'm and that doesn't make anything the kids have done to him okay mm-hmm. and it doesn't make this less okay it's just more to say that, you know, he goes from no violence to extreme violence. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no middle ground. And it's interesting yeah. because it is at the, you know, insistence of, of Ellie. Because she's the one who tells him in a scene that not only should he hit his bully back, but hit him back twice as hard and to go further than he ever thought that, that he could. And I feel like that's very much like... You know, Ellie and and Oscar have that great scene in Oscar's bedroom where Mm. Ellie's talking about the violence in Oscar and how they're the same and how Oscar wants to kill for for revenge. And look, who of us have not have revenge dreams? We've all been there. Oh, if you if you say that you haven't had like a revenge thought or something like that, like get the fuck out of here! I don't believe you. You're a liar. You're a liar. Yeah, exactly. But, like, it is the interesting thing that, like, Ellie is kind of, like, seeing, you know, a connection with this other person who has this, like, violent tendency, but she's the one who brings it out in him. Well, and and, and look, I want to clarify before we go further with this. I Again, this is – so this is – it's a really complex story, actually, because, you know, th- this is a topic that's very difficult. Yes. Like, it, it really <laughs> is. And even, even as a kid who – 
like went through bullying for like 15 years, like I, I even have a hard time kind of discussing it because, you know, this whole thing with Ellie like pushing him to act back against his bullies, mm-hmm. that's not exactly a bad thing, you know? Like I, I got some of the same advice and and I've given some of the same advice because there is definitely a sense of like, you know, you don't want to just take it. You don't want to just be the bully's receptor for whatever fucking, no. you know, whatever fucking lack of confidence <laughs> they have, right? So, you got to stand up for yourself. Right. It's about standing up for yourself, you know, kind of like we see going around the world right now. We don't, none of us, no, no one with any sense of morality and humanity mm-hmm. wants to just sit back and watch Ukraine take it from Russia, right? Yeah. Like, we we all believe in the bigger kid standing up for the other kid, right? And mm-hmm. and, and standing up to bullies. So so it's not exactly wrong of Ellie to do that, but it is interesting because you have to ask yourself, is Ellie doing that for Oscar's own good? Mm-hmm. Or is Ellie doing that to as like a sort of training, <laughs> you know, to like see if Oscar has what it takes to be her familiar? <laughs> That's an interesting point. I don't think so at the beginning. Like I think that their their relationship does like legitimately start more as like friends that she she had she's fully intending to just leave behind but then as soon as her familiar just like fucks up his shit and she needs a new one she's like i might as well take this like weird mouth breathing violent kid <laughs> next door see, see i don't think so i think i think ellie's on the hunt for a new familiar right away uh, because Why? well because because it's where she, it's how she first meets oscar mm-hmm. because you know oscar like she's moved in and then oscar is down on the shitty playground that they have, you know, which is like a few bars and that's about it. Um, and he's down there doing his whole, you know, squeal routine and like stabbing a tree. Mm-hmm. And then he turns around and that's when she's there. And that that's their first meeting. That's their first encounter. And so to me, that's what draws her to him initially is this potential for violence, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she, I, I think she sees multiple things in Oscar at once. Like she sees... Uh, his potential for violence. She sees his loneliness, mm-hmm. meaning that he probably doesn't have much that he's leaving behind. So, no. so it wouldn't take much to push him into a lifetime with her, right? Yeah. You know, there, there's all these vulnerabilities of Oscar and Ellie being this like, <laughs> being this like mega manipulator. You know, <laughs> she she's able to just take all that in in a second and be like, oh, this is the one, because because you know. At the same time, like it's clear that her that Hakan's been fucking up for a while. You know? Yeah, he's a shit familiar. He's like the worst familiar I've ever seen. He's a terrible familiar. Awful. And I, I mean, you know, like that that was that was one of the things that really stood out to me the first time watching this is like usually you think, you know, something with a with a familiar is you might see them like in what we do in the shadows, right? Like bringing the victims back to the house for the vampires. Yeah. Uh, like Fright Nights is a good example of doing that. Or they like order hookers. <laughs> and granted, I'm not sure Ellie's going to be ordering hookers anytime soon. But <laughs> but you get the point is usually it's a very secretive thing. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Let the Right One In, Hakan is out there like hanging a guy in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Uh, the, the second person he goes to murder is in a fucking locker room. Doesn't at, even take him to a secondary location. <laughs> it's all about the secondary location. I don't know what just made me laugh so much about <laughs> you saying secondary, but but no, it's true. I mean, look, yes, he's not he's not taking them anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. to, like the, the woods thing is one thing, but to actually like try to murder a guy in, <laughs> in the pool locker room right after things have ended and this kid has friends waiting for him you know it's it's pretty ballsy and by ballsy i mean stupid Stupid. as fuck it's stupid (laughs) he's just a terrible familiar like look this all just makes me wonder like how long has like hakan actually been ellie's familiar just because there's no way that like honestly you've been a familiar to somebody for very long if you're making these kind of mistakes because they're like easy mistakes like you know the the woods one actually. Well, let's not let's not say they're easy mistakes when it comes to a job of having to murder people every other night. Like, well, look, it's not exactly an easy career. It is. It is not. But if if what we do in the shadows, listen, are, I could do this way better than Hakan. I don't want to, but if I did, yes, yes, I could, because mm. I think I'm more organized than he is. I mean, I like his little like satchel that he has. He's got all of his nice fancy tools. It's cute that you think so. <laughs> <laughs> Look, so uh, my husband has no faith in me. 
I have no faith in your organizational skills. Um, so, <laughs> so, so look, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that it's because of forgetfulness. I think mm-hmm. Hakan wants to get caught. Honestly, really? I think, yeah. So you, you know, think he's just done. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the dark part of let the right one in, right? Is that you know, so so I, I remember you would ask during the movie because you were curious, but. Uh, there is the question of like, well, how long has Hakan, you know, been with Ellie? Mm-hmm. And I mean, you have to imagine it's probably a similar setup. Probably been with her since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. It'd be pretty weird if <laughs> if they had, you know, met when he was like twenties or something. But it's not impossible. I know the book originally had him being a pedophile. Like I know that that was a uh, sub a subplot in the book. Um, okay, but- well, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but here here's the thing they don't really go into that in the movie and so the movie can be whatever we want it to be since they don't reference that Mm. so i'm with you i kind of like this idea that like hakan has been with ali since he was also 12 because then that paints a really interesting light over their relationship because look when you're the same age you know you guys are feeling the same things you're going through the same processes i don't know with with ellie very much it seems like they're in the similar mind state as 12. So it's it's one of those rare occasions that I think the vampire is not, you know, aging mentally, emotionally, like the same way because Ellie seems like a 12-year-old, right? I disagree. No, really? I don't agree at all. <laughs> I think she seems like a 12-year-old. No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, Ellie, no, I do think that Ellie matures. I, I mean, come that makes her relationship with with Oscar creepy. Well, of course it is. <laughs> I mean, so this is why I disagree with you. We have shots of Ellie throughout the film looking like an old hag. You That's know, true. like it's not like there. It's very clear that she is an adult. You mm-hmm. know. And that and that's why it's so fucked up because she's an adult who's basically manipulating Oscar into becoming this familiar. That that's what the entire movie's about, is her manipulation of him becoming that for her. And it's yeah. it's why it's why I think it's a false love because you know she she is setting Oscar on a path to becoming Hakan. Mm-hmm. That's that's what this is. And and yes, going back really quick to the other thing, why I think Hakan is purposely fucking up is I think that they have probably been together a very long time. And yes, I will clarify. Neither Chris and I have read the book. I do own it. I haven't gotten to reading it yet though, <laughs> and I know little things about it, but not major things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes. I think they've been together a long time and it's clear that he's kind of reached a point of like, I'm done. You know, (laughs) I mean, you have to ask yourself, like, how long could you really go with a life like this? You know, where it's just like, I I mean, because look at their actual lifestyle, you know, look at the 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 place (laughs) they live in. He doesn't even he has a bed on the floor. They don't even have a bed for him, you know, and 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 he it looks like he has nothing to do but read shitty magazines all day, you know. And I mean, to quote Oscar, are they poor? Well, but they're not poor, they're not. but 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 they they certainly live that way, you know. Mm-hmm. And and on top of that, you know, she's getting kind of sick of him, and it just it, it just really feels like he's he's over it doesn't want anything else to do with this life he does love ellie he loves ellie Mm -hmm. so that's why he's kind of hanging on but otherwise it kind of seems like he's sick of this life you know yeah it's it's why i kind of love the symbolism of him burning his face with acid when he gets caught because first of all just a fucking awesome effect and very horrific (laughs) uh that that was one of the first times watching the movie where i was like oh shit (laughs) so not only is it a great effect but you know it kind of speaks to this idea of like he I, I almost imagine that he's this character that, you know, feels like he doesn't really have a face anymore. He doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't have a life. He has like no purpose. Nobody knows him except Ellie. He's not allowed to know anybody. You know, yeah. he is one hundred percent specifically hers, no one else's, and she doesn't even want him anymore. So so it's it's like this idea of he just isn't a person anymore. Yeah. He has no face. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with you on that. Like, cause for me, you know, there's that moment, like after he's lost, like, you know, the first bottle of blood because he fucking sucks. I'm sorry. How do you forget like a bottle of blood in the woods? Because like, he's about to be caught for murder. It's the most important thing. You take the blood. Uh, 
There's so you're many. <laughs> there's so many situations I want to throw you in that you're so judgmental about. Like, how I get for, to be judgy. How, I'm not in the situation. I would totally remember the blood <laughs> if I was murdering somebody in the middle of the woods and about to be caught. <laughs> no, but I think that that you know that kind of speaks to your point of he's kind of done with this. Like you know he's not as aware of things. He's not paying as close of attention. And then right after that, you know, we have got this scene before he he leaves to go and try to murder the high school student. Dumbly, my might add. That's between him and Ellie where, you know, Ellie says to him, like, maybe you shouldn't go out. And his response to that is, like, what else am I good for? Yeah. And that very much speaks to this whole thing of, like, sometimes, you know, this whole episode, this whole month has been about love. Sometimes when you're so in love with someone that you know is not, like, a great relationship, you do lose so much of yourself. Mm. And I think that, yeah, to your oh. point, that's very much the case with the familiar. He's lost himself in the blood and the violence. I, I mean, look, you know, Ellie's <laughs> Ellie's basically just looking for her sugar, sugar daddy hunter, right? Or her, 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 her sugar daddy familiar, you know, like that's... And that's, that's what she's going to find in the 12-year-old next door. That's what she's hoping to find, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> look, who has more capacity than violence than, like, unhinged children? Well, I mean, can we... You know, something that we're not even talking about yet is the fact that... You know, and not only is this like a shotgun wedding for, <laughs> you know, for Oscar being forced to marry this vampire, quote unquote. You know, we, we haven't touched on the fact of like how selfish of a love this is, because mm-hmm. let's think about this. Hmm, on one hand, we have a 12 year old boy who has never killed anybody and maybe wants to. We're not in Oscar's head, but but he's never done it. And on the other side, we have a 300 year old vampire who has been involved with death plenty of times, <laughs> who is super strong, can mm. climb up walls, can fly potentially. We never see it, though. We never see it. doesn't matter. Uh, but who can fly potentially. And we're told, to, or we're made to believe, like, well, she's just so fucking selfish <laughs> <laughs> that because she doesn't like killing, she's getting someone else to do it, you know? And, mm. like, collect the blood for her. Because that's really all this is. She's, get, she's just getting someone else to get her the blood because she doesn't like actually doing the killing herself, which is admirable mm-hmm. and, and a common trait in vampire movies. But, but you know, it, it really just speaks to like it, – it, but it really just goes to show you like if this is a love story, it's a very flawed love story mm-hmm. or, or a very flawed love because Ellie is coming at it from like 100% a selfish point of view <laughs> – you know, where she is just using the hell out of Hakan and Oscar. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, taking a different direction, like, the whole thing with Hakan becoming miserable and kind of, like, losing himself a little bit and being like, what else am I good for? Mm-hmm. You know, th- this whole film really has a negative <laughs> outlook on relationships. And it's why it's, why it's really interesting when, when we do kind of talk about it as a love story because, you know... It's not, it's not really a film that's very positive on love. No. <laughs> uh, because when you look around the rest of the movie, you know, you've got, uh, you've got Oscar's neighbors who, you know, they seem fucking miserable. Like, a little bit. Like the guy's more in love with his best friend than his wife, you know? Yep. <laughs> and and they, they don't seem to have kids and they seem kind of, you know, regretful of their life and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oscar's parents are, are divorced and split yep. up. Neither of them seems very happy. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting because the way that I kind of take this film when it's talking about love and stuff like that is almost as a warning to like not get too attached to your first love. Like, there's nothing mm. wrong with your first love. Like, hey, there's plenty of people that marry their first loves and are perfectly happy. But yeah, but yes, but I yeah. agree. I agree. You know, it, it, we not, come from not the every... Midwest where that happens a lot. Well, again, speaking of shotgun weddings, but, you know, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, certainly there's something there of like, you know, maybe, 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 uh, you know, maybe try some of the other fish before you, before you marry the one. Dean around. Eat around, you know, (laughs) eat fish. You don't marry fish, you eat fish, but, (laughs) you know, eat around a little bit, eat Hmm. eat at different restaurants with different fish. Yeah, see and which fish you like the best, compare yeah, them. See which one tastes better, and <laughs> maybe don't just, you know, have a spicy tuna roll on your first trip eating sushi, and then that's the only kind of sushi you ever eat, you know? like But, that's, like, spicy tuna is, like, the best. Listen, it is the best. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not. It's my favorite. I'm just saying, you know... <laughs> 
you get what I'm saying. Yes. Like, you don't you don't go, you don't go to the sushi restaurant, have spicy tuna once, and then never try any other sushi. That's Did stupid. Yes. Any, anybody on the outside of that who's had other sushi is like, no, that's dumb. Try this. Try this. Try this. You might like other stuff, you know. Yep. And that's why we all just want to grab Oscar and like shake him and be like, no, Oscar. Ellie is not the only girl who will ever talk to you, you know? Well, you just, she, she might be. She might be, but you don't know that. You're so young still. <laughs> exactly. Like, so much of this movie is about, like, just the fact that if you settle with someone, like, just because you have a connection with somebody doesn't mean that that's who you should settle with for the rest of your life. Because, yeah, you know, Oscar's neighbors are clearly not a good couple, but they just kind of settled for each other. Oscar's parents divorced. There are so so many examples around Oscar of, you know, what negative love and not getting stuck in things. But to your point, I think Oscar is just so isolated. He's isolated from everyone that he... You know, Ellie being the first person who actually shows an interest in him, actually cares about him, it's really easy, to your point, for her to just come in and completely manipulate him so that he wants to stab people for her. Yeah, and and I mean, the, the manipulation's going on from the beginning, and it's not, you know, we already talked about some of that, but from Oscar's point of view, even, there there is something happening that I don't think he's even aware of, and I'm not sure most viewers are aware of, maybe the first time watching the film, is that... You know, so so think about when the think about the first time they meet, right? Here you have this vulnerable kid who is just kind of looking for really any sort of companionship mm-hmm. or, or any sort of just interaction with people, period, uh, that isn't you know bullying. And the first time that we see Ellie, she's not just you know meeting him through this violence that he's uh, committing on this tree, this tree stabber. <laughs> Uh, but he, but she is standing on the jungle gym, like elevated above him, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of one of these neat camera tricks. So, like, if you want to be a super nerd about film, but a lot of times in film, if you see framing where one character is kind of portrayed to be like looking down on the other, even mm-hmm. if even if they're like even if they're sitting across from each other like this, you might have one angle that's kind of looking down on one character and one angle that's looking up on the other. And it's to kind of give this sort of vibe of like, oh, this character is, you know, uh, above them to a sense, right? Yeah. And this is kind of what happens here is like you have Ellie standing on this jungle gym. And in a sense, she's almost kind of being held up like this this god on a pedestal, right? <laughs> you know, at least that's uh-huh. how Oscar immediately sees her. Because for Oscar, it's like, holy shit, you know, someone's talking to me. Like a girl's talking to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so he immediately sees her as, you know being almost somebody like worth worshiping mm-hmm. you know and maybe that's not the first thought that goes through his head but it's kind of implied there because that's how she is the second time to me too that's how it starts she's standing up there like that you know like this fucking queen just like <laughs> looking down at him like do my bidding you pale bitch <laughs> to be fair ellie is a queen she is and yes we are calling her a she despite mm-hmm. the fact that you know she is she was born a he, but this is what I think is cool about the movie too. And and this is, this is the one kind of positive, I think sort of message in the love here and kind of what we've been talking about all month that sort of seems to come up is just, is just love for the person and not their sex, you yeah. know? And cause, cause Oscar, you know, like she tells him straight up, she says, I'm not a girl, mm-hmm. you know, and us being the dumb audience, we're like, Oh yeah, it's because she's a vampire, duh. <laughs> and and then later on, you find out like no, she she is a castrated boy, and we yep. get we get a we get a good glimpse of that, you know, uh, which which if any of you are wondering, was done with a mannequin. That's yep. not that's not anybody's actual body. prosthetic body. Um, <laughs> I, guess, I guess the interesting thing is we can assume that Ellie now identifies as a girl because that's mm-hmm. how she seems to perceive herself mm-hmm. or or to present herself. Um, so I think it's appropriate to call her a girl. But either way, I just think it's beautiful that, you know, Oscar, despite seeing that and despite, of course, knowing she's a vampire, still decides, like, no, I'm still going to love her. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of my favorite parts about this movie is the fact that repeatedly, you know, Ellie asks him because Oscar is kind of pushy. I don't want to say pushy, but he keeps pushing. He's like, a little pushy. He's like, okay, hey, good. It's not just me. He's like, hey, I just met you. I love you. And now let's do Morse code through the walls. Here's a couple of sheets of paper to learn Morse code. Like, you, fuck you, man. I've known you for three <laughs> days. Do you want to be my girlfriend? 
Well, no, not just that. It's like, I mean, I would say fuck you to any of my friends who were like, hey, go and study Morse code so we can do that now. Uh, it's like, no, that's too much for me. Come okay, on. Okay, to be just fair. Just text me. To be fair, I, I would totally, yeah, that would win me. Be like, you're giving me Morse code? I get to learn puzzles with you? This is amazing. <laughs> we're nerds in our own way. Okay, hon. Uh-huh. But no, it is the, the awesome messaging throughout this is the fact that there are multiple times that Ellie does need reassurance. Every time Oscar kind of like, you know, shows some kind of affection. Ellie's just like, I'm not a girl. Are you okay with this? And Oscar never bats an eye. He never balks. He always is just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, do you want to be with me? And that's what's important to him. To your point, it's about the person, not not the body, not the vessel. And that is a really cool messaging with all of this. I just keep, though, having flashbacks to, like, the good place and Janet. Well, because Janet always has the line, anytime someone tries to, like, gender Janet as a girl, she's just like, not a girl, because she's a robot. And that's right. awesome. Indeed. So, no, it's it's my favorite part about this movie is just kind of that that love story about accepting you know, who your partner is, even well, though Ellie has manipulated to Oscar who, who she really is. Yeah. But it's a one side, right. It's a one-sided love though. Yes. You know, I mean, so it's like, so it's like, Oh, uh, on one hand, kind of beautiful. On the other hand, uh, still terrible. <laughs> I think what's so clever about the title mm-hmm. is the title itself is manipulative because the it's title a warning. Well, no, I mean, obviously the title's a warning. <laughs> Let the right one in. That's a warning. <laughs> no, it's not that the title's a warning. It's that the title is manipulative because it... So so audiences, you know, for the first time you watch a film, mm-hmm. you tend to take things at base value, right? Mm-hmm. So when you see the title, Let the Right One In, and we're given this story that's presented as this love story between a boy and a vampire, (laughs) you assume by the end, since they're together, you assume like, Oh, let the right one in. He, he let the right one in this, this person that, you know, or this vampire that, that wants to be with him. And he he has a life now, you know, and he's happy and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. He let the right one in. But when you really start to think about it, you realize, Oh, that's what the whole scene about him having to invite her in is all about. Mm-hmm. Is he let the wrong one in? <laughs> and how and how he know that he and how he knows that he let the wrong one in is because or usually when when people come into your house, uh, they don't explode into a bunch of blood <laughs> bubbles that drip out of their every orifice of their body, you know? And so so that itself, I think, is supposed to be a warning of like Ellie is the wrong one. Ah. You, you're letting like it's this idea of, you know, where this idea comes from. The vampires go so far back of just the, just the concept of, you know, you can't, you can't let or the monster can't hurt you if you don't let them in. Yes. And, and this applies to so many relationships. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just loving relationships with friendships and anything. Mm-hmm. It, it applies to all of them. Of like, those things can't hurt you if you don't let them in. Right. Mm-hmm. So like. You know, it's like when I first met you, it's like, you can't hurt me if I don't go on a date with you, you know, like you can't hurt me then. And so and so with this, it's like this idea that, well, you know, she's not the right one because if you if she gets into your life, it's supposed to be a warning that she, you know, bleeds from every orifice. (laughs) Like it's supposed to show you of like, no, this isn't okay, This is not normal, you know, and so to me, so to me, it it ultimately just like considering how the film ends, and you know, Oscar's sort of doomed life ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it's that he let the wrong one in because, you know, be, be, yeah, because it because it it reveals that she is a monster <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, and and whether or not you know, it's not by choice that mm-hmm. I know of. I again, I haven't read the book. It's not by choice that I know of. Uh, she's not necessarily cruel she doesn't like killing mm-hmm. so she's not she's not like a evil monster but it's just supposed to kind of be like a metaphor for like she is the wrong one and she's gonna fuck your life up <laughs> yeah and to your point this is a whole scene also for me about power plays because this is the first time that i feel like we see oscar ever kind of bully somebody back 
Because, you know, Ellie is very clear she needs to be, you know, invited in. Otherwise, it's not great for her. And Oscar kind of pulls this power play of like, oh, what's going to happen? Is there a barrier? And he's kind of being a dick about the whole situation. Well, right. He's, he's the other side of like a tox of a bad relationship, right? Because he, for Oscar, this is like the first time that he feels like he kind of has power over somebody. Mm-hmm. And so he's like using that to his advantage of like, he gets to bully someone now. <laughs> yeah, but Ellie very quickly puts him in his place of like, oh, you think you have the power? Cool, you're still beholden to me. You will still, like, do what I command. So I'm going to come in, and you're going to see your actions, and you're not going to be able to handle it. Fuck you, little boy. You're mine. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, I just feel like, you know, it's... <laughs> Like, nobody wants to start a relationship on a lie, right? Mm-hmm. And it's usually a pretty bad sign if uh, if your relationship starts with, oh, by the way, I'm a blood-sucking monster that I didn't <laughs> tell you about for the first few days. <laughs> I mean, for some people, that's a turn-on, though. You just gotta find the vampire freaks. I mean, you're not wrong. There there are whole clubs <laughs> dedicated to that, but... <laughs> Guillermo from What We Do in the Shadows. Exactly. <laughs> But, you know, talking, like, look, that scene is one of my favorites because it is one of, like, the cooler, bloodier, like, gorier scenes. And we know how much I love blood. So we can't talk about this movie without talking about the scene that I was robbed of. The best fucking kills in this movie is in the end scene where, like, Oscar's getting his head held under by, like, the older bully. And Ellie shows up and murders all of them. I get a decapitation. Some kids get, like gets flown through the goddamn, like, you know, air. All this cool shit's happening on the surface, and I'm looking at this fucking mouth breather's face underwater. So, look, I'm mad because I was deprived. Yeah, this is where Chris and I vastly differ in film because... You can't tell me you don't want to see that scene. No, I mean, of course I want to see it, but I don't... I'm the kind kind of viewer, and not to sound extremely pretentious, which I'm going to, but... (laughs) But, you know, I'm the kind of viewer where it's like, look, if if if, if it works for the movie, then I'm fine, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and in this case, I think that it works for the movie. Like, because cause Let the Right One In is not, it's not, it's not like it's advertised, like, you know, blood-sucking freaks <laughs> part 10. Like, if I, if I, I go, if I go and, if I go and watch, like, okay, like the recent, the recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? And, yeah. all, and all the fucking vitriol and discourse that came about from that, right? We're talking about a movie called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. And it's the, and it's the the ninth film in a franchise called Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Yep. And so yeah, I expect one thing and one thing only when I'm watching a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Is it Chainsaw Massacres? It's Chainsaw Massacres <laughs> and gore. Yep. <laughs> You know, that's what I expect when I go into a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That doesn't mean that people are wrong for wanting more from it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it could have been better. Absolutely, it could be more intelligent, you know. And and it is totally okay to want those things from that movie. Absolutely. That's acceptable. What's not acceptable, or or what you shouldn't be doing going into that movie, is going into Texas Chainsaw Massacre and being like, man, I hope this is a really intelligent portrayal <laughs> of socioeconomics, you know, and like, oh. and like all this kind of stuff. Like it's fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Yeah. The ninth, yes, the, the, some of these films have done some of that stuff very well. Some of them have great themes that they talk about, you know, uh, but, but it's not always going to be that. It's a fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> you know, you can only go into it expecting a Texas Chainsaw Massacre and leave everything else at the door and take what the film gives you, you know? Fair so, enough. So in the case of Let the Right One In, we're not watching Bloodsucking Freaks Part 10 or something like that, right? Yeah. We're, watch, we're, watch, we're watching a, a, a film that wants to be a little bit more... Classy? Classy is the <laughs> word you could put on it. Uh, a little bit more intelligent. You know, it's not, it's not mm. going for the easy stuff, like gore yeah. and, you know, cheap scares and stuff like that. It's going for a different kind of horror movie, you know? Yeah. It's not it's meant to be something a little bit different than that. So so when I watch Let the Right One In, I'm I'm not actually, you know, disappointed by not seeing all of the bullies get theirs. Mm-hmm. Because one, I think it's just a really fucking well shot scene. 
having Oscar down there and you do see like the severed arm coming to the water and like the feet being pulled through the pool and out. Like, I think that's pretty cool. It and, is and, cool. And, and, I, and I'm one of those people that generally feels, you know, less is more. So like, mm-hmm. I am <coughs> not give me more. <laughs> Listen, evil dead two is one of my favorite movies. All right. I love excess, but, but I'm, but there are times where less is more. And, mm-hmm. and this is one of those cases where it's like, I think just seeing the feet, being dragged through the pool. I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I've, ne- I've never seen that before. Yeah. You know what I have seen before, though? Vampires dragging people around <laughs> and ripping their heads off. I you know. know? So, so it gives you something different. Mm-hmm. But, but more importantly, I also think that it speaks to part of the theme of the movie, which is that, you know, it, it takes you back to the scene when Oscar is getting whipped with the stick. Mm-hmm. And like you said, what does he do? He closes his eyes. Yeah. What's happening here? He's underwater. His eyes are closed. Mm-hmm. So... He separates himself from the violence. Exactly. He's blind to it, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's and that's what's so important is Oscar has blinded himself to the violence in such a way that either he is intentionally oblivious to it, Mm -hmm. or you could also look at it like, well, he just kind of ignores it. Yeah. You know? Either way, it's deeply unnerving because you you have a 12 year old who's basically like i'm totally cool with the fact that people are just getting their heads ripped off around me you know and and it's why it's why we do see the other bully i think andreas played by johan charles the only one left alive crying because it's supposed to be this I, i think it's supposed to be this juxtaposition of like here's here's the reaction of an of a 12 here's the normal reaction mm-hmm. of a 12 year old to watching a bunch of 12 year olds get their heads ripped <laughs> off you know and and on the other end of that is Oscar, who's all, like, smiles and, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, see, I totally thought that Honoris kind of survives this because he's also a victim. Well, no, like, I mean, yes, that, I, that's why that's why he's not killed. I'm just, I'm just saying it works as a juxtaposition of being, like, here's a person who actually, you know, understands the violence in the moment and, yeah. and actually sees the horror of it, mm-hmm. whereas Oscar is, like, totally oblivious. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I love Honest through the entire film because he is a good representation of how you get trapped in these cycles of violence sometimes because he's bullying, you know, Oscar. Even though he doesn't want to, he starts hating Oscar with the stick and starts crying because he doesn't want to do what he's doing. Yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, because he knows that if he doesn't, he's going to be picked on. And so I think he's an interesting, like, side character to watch. So I'm glad that he didn't get his head ripped off in the end. Yeah, for sure. No, he, he's he's absolutely a representation of that. You know, it's um, there, there's always those kids. I knew those kids. Mm-hmm. I was the bullied kid, but then there were the kids who... You know, they kind of side with the bullies because they don't want to be bullied themselves. Yeah, <laughs> and it's sad. Yeah, I mean, you see it in the world all the time. I mean, especially look at fucking look at the fucking GOP. You know, and the way <laughs> and the way they just bend over backwards for Trump, right? Like, it's the exact same thing. They're like, yeah, Trump, fuck me till Sunday. You know, like just as just as long as you don't bully me. Just like, say Ted Cruz. Uh, Ted Cruz is a perfect <laughs> example, little fucking bitch. <laughs> fucking hate Cruz. Anyway, it's not about that right now. So. No. <laughs> Uh, so we do have to start kind of getting into our wrap up here as much as I'd love to talk about Let the Right One In forever. Uh, so who's your killer idiot of Let the Right One In? Okay, so I did write my answer before you changed my mind about Ellie because my killer idiot was originally Ellie for... Oh, no way. Ellie's the smartest person in the movie. She <laughs> is, but she has the opening line the first time that she meets Oscar. Um, she says that, that they can't be friends. She tells Oscar straight up, first meeting, we can never be friends. I don't want to be friends Hook, with you. Hook, line, and sinker. How yeah. is he not supposed to keep thinking about her after she says that? I get that now. Total manipulation 101. <laughs> so killer idiot for this one, I guess, is me, apparently, because I missed the point. No, who's your real killer idiot? No, that really was my answer. Well, it can't be you. You're not in the movie. <laughs> no, my, my killer idiot was originally Ellie until we had this conversation. You changed well, my mind well, about fine. how manipulative well, Fine, we're gonna we're gonna switch it to Oscar for you then, since okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's answering for me. <laughs> well, but I hate Oscar. Well, if you're not gonna give one, uh, my mine's the the old neighbor who breaks into the apartment in the end to try to kill Ellie for vengeance for his best friend because. Um, you know, cause to me, it's just like, uh, Hey dude, maybe, I don't know. Call the police. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't go after a small child that dropped from the fucking sky on your girlfriend. Yeah. You're, 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 uh, <laughs> your wife literally turned into a fucking vampire because a small child bit her. Maybe don't go after that small child by yourself. I don't uh, know. It's just a thought, <laughs> just a thought that maybe you don't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe things work differently in Sweden. I don't know, but 
you know. No. Don't, don't do that. Do that. Uh, what about your killer death and let the right one in? Uh, for me, that goes to Virginia, who's played by um, Ika Nord, who is the wife we were just talking about, because like her death is so fucking epic. It would go to the small children that die in the pool, but I didn't get to see that, so fuck them. Um, but I love Virginia's death, because it is a prolonged one, but A, Ellie drops from the goddamn sky, which is hilarious. Mm. Um, but then you have the kind of like sad moment where Virginia really has to kind of decide if she wants to continue living this life and she chooses this epic suicide in which she just bursts into flames and it's such a like iconic death scene that yeah she gets my killer beautiful shot it's so pretty so yeah she gets my killer death yeah mine's gonna go to Hakan because um, he acids his face well that's not how he dies but yes he acids (laughs) his face uh (laughs) But but no, it's just it's so brutal and tragic, and I think that you know that that death in and of itself. I mean, all the deaths are pretty good at this, but that death in particular, you know, really just kind of foreshadows like what <laughs> what Oscar's in for, <laughs> you know. And, and it's so it's so tragic because of that, because mm-hmm. you know it, it's basically showing you like here's what Oscar's in for. He's in for a life of loneliness and you know growing older will at least stays the same mm-hmm. and only to eventually end the same way it began which is in violence you yeah. know it, it just shows you like there's no other end for oscar he's going to die in violence at some point because either he's going to get caught mm-hmm. and you know probably be executed that way yeah or you know he'll give himself up to ellie at some point but it's very unlikely Oscar is going to meet a non-violent end, you know, yeah. and Hakan kind of shows that. But uh, plus, just a really well shot scene. But what about your killer MVP? Uh, so for me, that goes to both of our child actors in this thing, and that's mainly because um, our our director Alfredson had a really unique way of approaching this film, where neither of our child actors read the script. They were fed their lines for each scene. He gave them a feeling of the scene. And I think that that's such an interesting way to have to portray these characters. And Mm. so for me, it goes to them just because of that way of shooting their characters. I think that's so, just so cool. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really cool technique in directing this. My MVP is going to go to, to, to Lena Lee Anderson as Ellie. And it's just because, well, I think that both young actors do a really great job. Mm -hmm. She takes it to just a little bit the next level for me because this it's a really complicated character where you have to have sympathy for her, but also fear her, mm-hmm. you know, and and kind of dislike her once you realize like what she's really doing here. Mm-hmm. So so I think that her the performance she gives, you have such sympathy for the character to the point where you understand her, despite the fact that when you really think about it, she's kind of awful. Yeah. <laughs> Can we give, like, a small shout-out, then, to, like, Elif Selen, who does the voice for Ellie? Um, mm. Because they, they dubbed over Ellie's voice because they were worried that it wasn't going to be androgynous enough. So we always like to do a poll with each of these on our Twitter, Acular Critics, just kind of getting your thoughts and feeling on the film, what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on Let the Right One In? I feel like it's going to go to love it, because this movie is gorgeous, and so many people like it. Yeah, overwhelmingly so. So 67.8% love it, uh, 16.7% said it's fine, 2.2% said don't like it, and 13.3% said never seen it. So that's that's about where I thought the yeah. numbers would fall. This is a really well-liked movie. It's grown... It's grown uh, a huge fan base since it released. And, of course, you know, got an American remake, like, right away because it was so popular. <laughs> uh, so that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, we also like to get your comments as well. So these are all from Twitter. So first up is uh, at B. I'm so sorry if I say this wrong. At B Paslik. Uh, so that's B-P-A-S-Z-Y-L-K. And they say it's one of the best horror movies of the 21st century. The cold, casual way in which it presents violence just gets under your skin. I completely agree with this. This is a gorgeous movie, and it handles violence in such a, such an interesting way and so different from a lot of horror films. Yeah, well, it's like we've been talking about through the whole thing is that, you know, it it does. It, it, it doesn't at first seem like it. It seems like a romance movie between a boy and a vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really is a film about violence, the way we see violence, the way we react to violence. And, and it does. That, that sort of casual representation of it in the film and the almost sort of like romanticized 
vision of it is extremely disturbing. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, thank you at B Pazlik uh, for the comment. Appreciate it. Hopefully, again, hopefully I said that okay. Uh, next up is a comment from at Nightfalls. So that's N-I-I-T-E-F-A-L-L-S. And they say, it's a great take on the vampire story. It's a film we deserve another one of as the young lad is now a man. I would definitely be interested to see Oscar like more grown up and further into this relationship. Because, yeah, to Matt's point that he brought up earlier, this tackles a lot of vampire lore we normally don't get. So, yeah, I'm 100% down for a sequel. Yeah, I think that'd be amazing. I, I would love to see this film through. I would love to see a sequel through Oscar's point of view now in the place of fuck on mm-hmm. but this time actually focus the entire story on that point of view and not just the little bits that we get with the con you know yeah. I'd, I'd love to see oscar dealing with that and dealing with ellie finding another familiar or whatever would happen you know mm-hmm. I, th- I think it'd be really cool so no i i think that's a great idea i'd love to see a sequel to this uh so anyway thank you at nightfalls for the comment appreciate it uh next up is a comment from at dardar finch so that's d-a-r-d-a-r F-I-N-C-H, and they say, this to me is the best horror drama romance movie ever. I hate to be that nerd, but highly recommend the book, which has some difficult scenes, but really explores the gender identity aspects of the plot. Still, this movie is beautiful, sad, brutal, and has a cold black heart. I'm definitely interested in checking out the book, even with like the heavier themes, which admittedly I sometimes shy away from since I read almost exclusively romance novels. Mm. But no, this is a beautiful dark film. I I don't know if it's one of the the best dark romance films, but oh, I think it is. <laughs> of course you do, but it is definitely up there. I will agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that Finch said. I. I have not read the book, and I, I'm really in, intrigued to do so, especially because I would like to know more of the backstory and and get more into the gender identity aspect of it, because that is another thing that is very lightly touched on. Mm-hmm. You know, like Anderson, when he got a, a hold of the film, he kind of stripped a lot of the like vampire lore out of it and wanted to focus specifically on the kid's relationship, which I think was a good idea. Yeah. I think that really works for the movie, mm-hmm. um, but I'd love to get... To, to see more of an expansion of that with the book. But yeah, no, it it is a movie that is beautiful, sad, brutal, and has a cold black heart. And I think that's what's so kind of cool about it because it really doesn't present itself like that at first, you know? Yeah. It's not until the end when you realize what Oscar's <laughs> fate is that you're like, oh, Fuck. shit. <laughs> Fuck, this movie's dark. So anyway, thank you, Ed Dardar Finch, for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from Roger Jr. So that's R underscore a underscore j underscore r underscore jr and they say it's a magnificent heartbreaking film with brilliant performances by a child cast heartbreaking from the perspective that you know the young boy's fate will eventually be the same as the elderly caretaker before him yeah it took me a while to get to that point because i dislike oscar so much (laughs) he's a weird little mouth breather but yes this is a very heartbreaking film yeah uh (laughs) No, I, I mean, exactly. You know, that's that's the thing that it's just so dark to just know that this little kid that we spent all this time sympathizing for because of his bullying, mm-hmm. uh, he's eventually going to be thrown off the roof of a hospital <laughs> after having his blood drained and his face melted. So that's, it's pretty depressing when you really get down to it. Yeah. But anyway, thank you at Roger Jr. for the comment. Appreciate it. And lastly is a comment from at Super Marcy. So this is my friend Marcy who... Also does a bunch of podcasts with our friend Beads. You should follow her and give give them a f- and uh, check out their podcast. But that's at Super M A R C E Y, and she says it is such a beautiful film, incredible performances, and a third act that stays with whomever watches it. That is very true. Like it's it's a little bit like slow to begin with, but that third act fucking hits you in the gut. It's so good. The visuals are amazing. I understand why people love this film. It is gorgeous. Yeah, I got nothing to add that. I Like Marcy said, it's beautiful. And, and the kid actors really are incredible with their yeah. performances. I'm always very impressed uh, by young kid actors that can draw that sort of emotion out of me. So, right? <laughs> uh, so anyway, thank you at Super Marcy for the comment. Appreciate it. You know, it is the end of the month. So we always kind of like to rank everything that we've talked about for the month and where we would put it. So this month we talked about Let the Right One In. Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Sprain, and Tammy and the T-Rex. So how would you rank these for the month? (laughs) Uh, I feel like you're going to be able to guess my ranking. Uh, Probably. So number four is Let the Right One In. God damn it, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, number three is Spring. Number two is Creature from the Black Lagoon. And of course, number one is Tammy and the T-Rex, because how could it not be? Yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised by this at all. Um, <laughs> Matt's going to divorce me so soon. Uh, so mine's completely different. Uh-huh. Uh, so... So I, I have Creature from the Black Lagoon at the bottom. Now I want to I want to preface this ranking with uh, I love every single one of these movies. Of I, I think it's a I think it was a great month of movies that we've talked about. Um, but someone and, has to come in last. And on separate months, like any one of these could potentially win or take first place for me. So it is Creature from the Black Lagoon last, uh, just because you know it's a film that I love, but it's not one that I revisit very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know the story is just fine to me. For me, it's really all about how beautifully shot it is and yeah. how how great that creature design is. And then Tammy the T Rex. Now, I will say, I'm ranking. I am. Ranking, I understand. I understand. I am ranking these by quality, uh, <gasps> but <laughs> Tammy the T Rex has great quality. No, it, it, no, it doesn't. <laughs> now, now I'm gonna say I I, w- I watched Tammy the T Rex more than any of these movies, so in a sense, it should be number one for me. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to rank by quality. That's what I try to do. So yep. if I'm being honest about it, Tammy the T Rex goes here because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really fun movie, but it's horribly yeah. flawed. And then Spring, which I just think is a beautiful, near perfect movie. Mm-hmm. My one issue with it. It's a little bit long. It's not a movie I'm going to sit down to watch all the time. So. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and then let the right one in. I really do genuinely believe it's one of the best vampire movies ever made. And that falls onto a list of a lot of great vampire movies. I wish that werewolves got the same fucking treatment. Because <laughs> they're a great monster too. No. But instead, we don't get a lot of great werewolf movies. So, um, But yeah, no, it's let the right one in. So... <laughs> Uh, so just one last thing before we wrap up here. Uh, we always like to get you our releases for the week, too, and what you can expect to look out for. First up is a film called The Scary of 61st, which comes to Shudder on the 3rd. Uh, I honestly have not seen this one yet. I meant to watch it before this, but I didn't. I'm sorry about that. I suck. Uh, but I, I believe it's a haunting story. Um, haven't really heard much about it yet, so go check it out if it sounds, you know, Take a look at it, see if it sounds like something you'd be interested in. Another film is called Take Back the Night, and this comes to VOD on the 4th. This one looks interesting. I'm kind of, I'm not 100% sure about it based off the trailer, but uh, it seems to be a creature feature that kind of deals with, you know, that that sort of fear of that that women carry with them with, you know, just having like all this kind of potential for you know, monstrous men and stuff like that in their lives. And, and so it looks like it takes a, a monster as a metaphor for that feeling. And, you know, the idea that like women aren't believed and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it looks really interesting. Uh, I'm just not hundred percent sold by the trailer. Um, but so that comes out on the fourth. And then last is a film called fresh. And this will also be on Hulu on the fourth. This film I did see at Sundance. I love it. I cannot say anything about it because I don't want to spoil it for you because that's half of what's so great about the movie. Um, So I will just say that with Fresh, it had my jaw on the floor multiple times. (laughs) (laughs) Like once you realize what's happening in this movie, the very first thing that I said to myself was, holy fucking shit. Like I actually said it out loud by myself watching it on my laptop, you know, just like, holy shit. (laughs) Uh, Because it is just that shocking and surprising. So uh, so it's a great film. If nothing else, please check that out this weekend. I think you're going to love it. Uh, so that's on Hulu on the 4th. Hopefully I didn't oversell it. But So that's going to do it for us on that and Let the Right One In and our month of Monsters in Love. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully we got into why these movies are so special to us and why <laughs> monsters deserve love too, even if some of them are kind of like Murdering. manipulative assholes like Ellie. Uh, that's, that's, that's too harsh. Ellie's great, you know, but she's still pretty manipulative. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can be both. You can be both. Currently we have a poll up on Twitter at killer critics, uh, looking for our next topic that's being voted on. Um, so that'll probably be announced with, what the topic is and what movies we'll be covering uh, later this week. So keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer 
underscore horror underscore critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.